It says it's recording. All right, we're both recording. <laughs> I, I, I was asking you a question. I gave you time to think about it. And the question is, when is your book coming out? I, next you know, I, don't, I don't know which book you're talking about. The next I, one. My next one. It'll be a while. What's it on? Um, it could easily be from the center of my experience, like right now, which has come out of the past couple of years of, uh, it feels like eggs that have been inside of me since I was a teenager. When my practices started, my shamanic experiences started, my plant medicine journeys started, and it kind of got the flow going of, of practices. What I didn't realize was that all the other, the business consulting and the executive coaching and blah, blah, blah. All that has no use whatsoever these days. And what has absolute validity and currency now is those practices and those eggs that were put in the nest back then. And how, uh, how much beauty uh, there is in the the little hatchlings that are coming out now in my experience, which has absolutely nothing to do with the the craziness of the world or the i 'm going through quite a number of personal challenges right now, and it has nothing to do with any of that except for how that beauty just infuses even the toughest stuff. You know, as you, I'm sure you know that from your experience, uh, your uh, practices over the years and the work you do. So that's what my book would be about. Somehow it would be informed by that. You know, this reminds me of Mm -mm. this Carlos Castaneda. Mm -hmm. He wrote his books about what he thought was important. He wrote two or three or four of them. And then he realized that it was those first confusing meetings with Don Juan, you know, his teacher, that was really the goal. And that's when he finally wrote Journey to Ixlan, start mm. at the beginning and, and reveal that stuff. So it really feels like that. I'm yeah. excited. Yeah, thank you. I, I agree. I, it's, it's a story worth telling for sure, because it's, it's an absolutely a story worth living. I can tell you that. So, so thanks for asking and, and acknowledging. Yeah. It's true. Hmm. We, we have our own little publishing house that's interested in seeing your manuscript when you get it out. Well, thank you very much. That's one of the kindest offers I've had in, in quite a while <laughs> in this uh, challenging personal life going on. So thank you for that. And I, I will absolutely remember that, that offer. So I have a, a particular question I wanted to lay on the table as a kind of the basis for this call, I just haven't talked to you for a while. And I know you're a researcher and you're really deeply helping people in deep need of help. And in that circumstance, I'm I'm asking you how it looks to you now. Mm. After these years of, I, I don't know how long it's been. I haven't talked to you in a little while. And, but, you know, things are rapidly evolving and I just want to know what you're seeing and, and just how, 
how it looks to you now. What is it? How are, what's the prognosis? <laughs> um, I think the larger scale we talk about, the worse the prognosis looks. Can you give some details about that? Sure. Um, in just about any of the existential level concerns that you and I could both list off quite easily, um, they're all doing what they've been doing since the day I met you and before, which is they're, they're all accelerating and intensifying as, as we speak. And they, um, you know, even down to the, the whole climate change thing, which I consider to be a small shard, a small fraction of what's actually important and going on, but that's all we get to talk about in the regular conversation. Um, <clears throat> that it's, it's just common. It's, it's in the headlines now that, the 2030 projections for how much we're going to be consuming fossil fuels will double between now and then rather than reduce from here as it's supposed to to keep us within 1.5 and so on, which I think you and I both know 1.5 and even two are in the rear view mirror now. So, you know, that whole conversation, that whole segment of what you're asking for prognosis about um, I have nothing but bad news about that. And no, I, I can't imagine what would come to save the day or shift something in a big way. I just don't see it. I don't see it at all. Um, so that's one. And that's, that's one that gets a lot of attention in the news and so on. Um, I'm actually quite concerned about a number of the uh, kind of a buzz phrase that I use a lot is that what we're looking at is human caused collapse of both earth and human systems. And we hear about climate change as the big uh, human caused collapse of earth systems. But the collapse of human systems is, um, is like a balloon that has just should have popped uh, just months ago. And, and it keeps going to this scary <laughs> level of wanting to explode and, and those things like the economy and uh, our, our uh, collaborative, <laughs> no, it's the wrong word, the, the worldwide uh, increase in, in tension and uh, human anxiety and uh, dissonance just all adding up to this, this extraordinary close to the explosion, explosion point. Um, those things are, are really um, a, a huge deal. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, the econ economics and the mistakes that have been made to take it to this extreme is, is just mind-blowing. Just, so, you know, assume people don't know really what you're talking about. Could you just snowflake us with some details? Sure. Uh, you know, just the 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 infinite growth on a finite planet lie at the beginning, at the foundation of it all. That's um, in so many different ways beyond economy, um, just the reality of biology and physics and so on. Uh, that's at a level like never before. Uh, there's a guy named Simon Michaud, who's an Australian guy who works out of uh, uh, Finland, I believe. He's an extraordinary guy who's just uh, really knows mining and knows resources. And he's 
clear as a bell that there is no way we have enough resources or enough, enough mining skill on the planet to be able to do the transition to a green economy, to solar and wind and so on. We just don't have it. Not to mention 10 years later, having to replace massive chunks of that and so on. And so that's just a starting point. That's just an easy little, hey, look at that, <laughs> to kind of trip up the, the whole flow. Uh, but, but really where it starts to get at scale, at a scale that my pea brain can't really understand, but the scale of how much the financial industries of the world have taken uh, the absolutely creating nothing and taking everything in terms of wealth creation and, and expanding that bubble out to that's the thing that's really, you know, close to the explosion point is um, it just can't keep going. And yet I'm saying that, and I've seen that I've been saying something like that for the past eight years or so. Um, But it really is a big deal. And I don't, you know, it's for somebody much smarter than me to tell you, you know, a projected timeline of when the explosion might happen. But everybody I listen to who's a lot smarter than me is saying it should have happened a while ago. And it'll be amazing if it doesn't happen within the next five years, for sure. And the, the kind of devastation to the status quo is is hard to overstate. And the, the amount of death and suffering and so on, just out of that. With leave all leave all climate stuff out of the picture and resource stuff out of the picture, you know, just this e- economic stuff. Uh, it will humble everything we were challenged by during the pandemic. It'll make that look like playtime, as like as whatever. <laughs> so I, I don't know if that's quite answering what you're asking. That's a couple of examples of things that are not looking so great. Yeah, the more details, the better, because most people are overwhelmed with their lives and overwhelmed with ordinary news. And the vaccine news, most people don't have a chance to research like you have done or I have done. And so people get tired of hearing me harping on the same old thing. So I feel really glad when there's some other guy who's on, <laughs> on the ball and delivering some of that, some of the wake up call. So anything, any more you can talk about, that'd be wonderful. Yeah. You know, there's a there's a few things that I would pull out of my pocket just out of the warm the warmth of our friendship and and our association over time. Uh, I have a huge respect for you and your team. Uh, you know, really just keeping this flame alive around the world the way you do. It's just fucking impressive, and I I just appreciate you and your team. Mm-hmm. And I and I want Thank to you. share something. You know, out of my own concern, my own like this is really hitting my heart, and this is. This is like fucking with intent and fucking with life uh, at a core level. You know, I think what we're what we're seeing right now is a pivotal shift, not just because of El Nino, but a pivotal shift of like the ocean has been taking up the excess heat from global warming for so long at such an extraordinary rate. It's I've forgotten now what the number of the equivalent of Hiroshima-sized atomic bombs that are exploded every second that have been absorbed in the heat of equivalent to that 
has been absorbed into the ocean for years on end now. And the, the, it's an extraordinary absorption of, of heat that has kept us from being dead a long time ago. And that is turning its, its trend. It is not like the Amazon, like most of the uh, forest areas around the planet are turning to being carbon produ- production areas rather than carbon sinks. Mm. You know, we could just stop there and it, just give me a few seconds to slow down and I would be in tears. You know, that just that forest thing that I'm mentioning as an aside to the ocean thing. And the ocean thing, don't get me started, because what would that is also implying is the death of the major roof, uh, reef systems of the world before the end of my old guy lifetime, probably before 2050. Then there's another one that, that is just, uh, you could look up a, a little video clip that is just profound, and yet it's less than 10 minutes long, uh, called um, Year Zero. Year Zero. And uh, it, it's just the simple mathematics, like even a guy like me who doesn't know shit about calculus and fancy you know, algorithms and so on, I can get this math. The math is that we've uh, eliminated more than three quarters of the uh, wild animal biomass within yours and my lifetime. That's how fast this is going. And to continue that trajectory, that's all this thing, this little short video, that's all it does, just keeps drawing the line because there's nothing slowing that line down. Not a goddamn thing. So that, that line is going down to zero. Wild animal biomass bio being gone, zero within our old guy lifetime. So I don't know if these are qualifying for you as the things that you'd like some other guy to say <laughs> that you don't have to be the annoying one. But those two, you know, the, the elimination of reefs in our world, I'm, I've been an ocean person my whole life. That's where I go to re- recharge my, my soul. And uh, that's what started me on this path when I was about 13, when I saw my first Jacques Cousteau special on TV. Mm-hmm. That, you know, he would, on uh, most of his specials, he would take a few moments at the end to say, you know, if you just look a few miles away from where we've been showing you this beauty, there is this mining, this, this devastating fishing, whatever it is. He would show us a little bit of that. And he'd say, if this continues, this will be devastating. Mm-hmm. And I was the only person in the room in tears. Then adults or children, nobody, everybody else was like, what's for dinner? It started me on the track then of knowing that we're in a self-terminating system because it didn't take Einstein to figure out. I look at every adult around me and every TV show and every news show, and they aren't talking about any of this. That's back in the 70s. And so that's what I've lived my life in is that's why I created those practices so early that I was talking about at the beginning of the call. Mm -hmm. Nobody could help. I couldn't. There's nobody I could talk to about this. You know, it's tough enough to talk about it now with people. Imagine trying to bring this kind of conversation up, and I'm I'm just some long-haired 13-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> nobody can listen to me. You know. Yeah. So anyway, that's what started the the practices for me then. And just to review that, you know, those are biggies. The the uh, decimation of reefs 
by 2050, uh, the world's fisheries are projected to be decimated by 2050. And then the just a brief aside about the turning of the world's forests to carbon sources. Let me just stop and make sure I'm on track and useful. Yes. And, okay. Yes. You know, you get to meet with people on these themes over and over again. Yeah. <clears throat> and with them, accompany them as they face, begin to face into reality, this exactly. physical reality, biological reality, which has nothing to do with a fantasy world called economics and this whole bubble system that's been built up. But you've got, you've got, and, uh, and I'm really interested to know how people are doing in, in terms of like, what, are they like in our teams, you know, people, people are getting the potential of cavitating and inhabiting new culture. Yes. And, and they're, and it takes three. That's all three can do it. And they, and they build, they're building bridge houses all over the world. They're starting to pump up all over. They move yes. in and experiment and invent archaearchy, this next culture. It's regenerative yeah. at its mm-hmm. source based on authentic adulthood initiatory processes and radical responsibility and regenerative culture. And um, so this it gives me a little bit of heart. It doesn't give me hope, but it gives me heart. It gives me inspiration for that there are people um, willing to move out of patriarchy, move out of patriarchy and let it die in its own wastes you know yes and the waste might take the entire planet down with it and still there's people who are trying this and i just just wanted to know what it looks like from your side with your groups and teams and meetings and how how people are going with this yeah um okay i think the short answer for you is that there's a book that was recently put out by a a woman that I got to work with for a little while when I was still active in the deep adaptation network. And uh, she's still uh, very much engaged there. She's a coordinator and a volunteer and and really remarkable presence. She's a great person for that role. Wow. She's built for it. Um, And I think that there's some really, really good work going on there in deep adaptation, mostly in the arena of, uh, helping people settle their nervous system to self-regulate, co-regulate, and especially doing that in what they call deep listening or deep relating exercises or, or circles, um, an evening of, of um, very, very mild, very settling process work. Were you going to give a title of a book from her? Is there a title of a book? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her uh, recent book is called The Eye of the Storm. Hmm. And what came hmm. to mind as you were describing what you're up to and what your teams are up to in these households, these little pockets of fledgling community, um, it reminded me of pieces of how she put her book together. So I'm going to suggest it to you because you might like to check it out and see if there's any part of that you'd like to borrow of her structure, her style. She has a, an interesting but actually not that not that interesting personal story for me because it's you know a privileged white woman from Southern California and you know she doesn't exactly have um, 
much in the way of contrast to, to kind of get, get me engaged. But she's lovely spirit and lovely presence. And what she does is that she brings in other voices for each of her chapters. And I think the chapters are quite interesting, what she's chosen as chapters. Hmm. And she has an interesting way of structuring her chapters. So let me just start with, um, it's, it's so beautiful how she includes other voices in each of the chapters. Most of them come from the deep adaptation community. And so a number of these people I know, and they, they're telling their stories and it's, it's lovely, but she also has chosen really well in some of the more important chapters, like basic self-regulation skills, which I, this is another way of offering you a tiny bit of an answer to your original question. Like, how are things going? How are people doing? And I think most people, no matter how collapsed aware they are, are really holding that kind of basic skill set at arm's length. Like, I don't want to hear about self-regulation. I don't want to hear about calming my system down. This, that sounds like clinical and it sounds weird and I don't really get it. And what is all this collapse stuff anyway, you know, and so on. There's a lot of membrane of resistance for many people. Mm-hmm. But she, she shares these suggestions for self-regulation, co-regulation in those chapters and other things in every, every other part of the book. Um, with these really creative and interesting and, and personal sharing from these voices that she of people she knows, hmm. so the, I I would offer you and I I'm happy to set you up with the links. I've got uh, an audio book version of her book if you are ever interested in an audio book format and it's free and it's on my podcast if if you check out Poetry of Predicament and the, my YouTube channel. Uh, all of, all 14 chapters are there and they're wow. read by a guy who you may not have heard of this guy, but he's, he's a guy that is a remarkable character in this story that we're kind of dancing around. This whole collapse aware and importantly, collapse acceptant communities that are mm-hmm. fledgling. Uh, Reverend Michael Dowd, you ever heard that name? I have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know much, but yes. Yeah. So he's been uh, about for the past 12 years or so, he and his wife, Connie, have been surrendering their, giving their life over to being of service in, in the way that he's a kind of a progressive Christian pastor, but very much reformed. Like, wait till you hear how he lays out how his gospel is, what his faith is in it's actually quite encouraging for a guy like me who's been had nothing but disdain for all religions for my entire life he has a lovely lovely platform of that but that's not all he does he's been doing you'll see when you dive into his stuff on on his youtube channel he has a massive uh number of of uh, interviews with people called post doom no gloom and he's basically talked to most of the heavy hitters that you can think of in the climate science, climate communicators, uh, I should say science communicators. Um, also, people who have been generating uh, their own books or articles or and, and so on. There's just a lot of folks. I'm one of them. And um, he read that 
book into audiobook form. And he did it quite informally. He announces that right at the beginning. It's not something for like a real audiobook quality. Uh, but he's done that too for a number of books that you're probably aware of, like some of the really heavy hitter cornerstone books that somebody would want to know if they cared about this earth, like um, Overshoot by William Catton. Just one of the classic solid cornerstone books to know what the hell we're doing on this planet, you know? He read that into audiobook form. Oh, so on. Service. He's just got this massive curated body of work, his creations and many others. And so the punchline of this track is that Michael Dowd read Eye of the Storm into audiobook form. And that was the last thing he created at that scale before he recently died. He just wow. recently dropped out of a heart attack. And he will be much missed by his community, which I'll just say one last thing about that, his community, which, you know, they've really brought it to prominence in this little world of the collapse aware. He and a, and a small handful of his compadres have really brought it out to collapse acceptance. Like if there's a continuum that one could be on from denial through collapse awareness to then collapse acceptance, that threshold of acceptance is quite an extraordinary one. And uh, you'll soon see, um, the uh, if you go to Michael Dowd's work, or you know, I can get you links, the, uh, there is, it's Jordan and Karen Perry who have really worked with Michael and produced some just beautiful little uh, essays and so on that distinguish what it is to be collapse acceptant and how that's beneficial. Like, why would you want to do that? Uh, it's pretty compelling. I, mm. I have some differences with their framing and, and their assumptions, but at the core of it, I think it's extraordinary. It's an extraordinary possibility for people to step into that could um, greatly reduce the fear factor, the aggression of unmetabolized grief, of mm -hmm. unmetabolized uh, anger and reaction and triggering that's going on everywhere. You know, the polarization that's everywhere. Yeah. There's a whole lot that has the possibility of calming the heck down if people were to make that transition, as they're suggesting, to collapse acceptance. So I don't know how interesting that is for you or how relevant, but I have found it a very, very useful component of speaking with people who are struggling a bit, mm -hmm. who are really having a hard time getting their head around what's actually happening. Because mm -hmm. you, you know as well as I do, you know, that's the last thing that people really want to hear. That's the last yeah. thing that their systems want. And this collapse acceptance can be uh, a bit of a salve that we can, you know, mm -hmm. just round the edges a little bit. It's not a panacea, but it's a, it's a damn soothing element that could be useful. Oh, thank you. Yeah. You know, this summer in Poland last summer, we had for the first time more than 50 people, like 60 people in an expand the box training. Mm -hmm. And it's a, uh, and that stayed there. We had 50 people in two labs after that. And 
Right. Some in a lab after that. We did we three labs after the expand the box training. And then Anne Chloe went down into Portugal and with Vera Franco delivered this woman of earth lab, which turns out to have been revolutionary. Would you say the title again? What lab? Woman of earth lab. Thank you. Hmm. And it had a specific intention and design. And the thing is it just worked and it was, it opened up a completely unexpected revolution which is simply that if you bring women together to rage, they invent archiarchy. <laughs> and they start building out infrastructure for next yeah. culture. Yeah. And it, and it was, it. and after five days, it, it's never going away. So all these women are out there. There's 30 some women out there and they're all kind of sourcing the next seeds. And it's, Ooh, yeah. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> And it was so amazing because the, the week after that, we came into the same space for the Archiarchy Makers Fair. And there were some men there and the men had no place to land in that space in their usual patriarchal, unconsciously patriarchal offers you know, for, for energy exchange or meeting or, you know, I'm the patriarch and you're the woman. And this is patriarchy. So hello. All that had no basis in reality anymore because it was a different yeah. reality. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so, so my, I'm leading up to a question, which is how are you finding what, what's the curve of people kind of coming into your, your safe circles and that kind of thing? Is it, is it stable? Is it going down, is it going up or how, what's happening? You know, truthfully, it's a trickle. It has always been a trickle and it's now slightly more, but it's still a trickle. Um, I, I really have no one to point at but myself about what that is. You know, I, I'm a horrid marketer and I, there's a whole lot that is just not clear enough, I'm saying. You know, it's not the only thing that's holding me back from a, <laughs> having something larger than a trickle going on. But it's something to mention and to be responsible for, you know, because that's I'm, I'm it. I'm a one man shop. But I also know that there is a tremendous amount of shadow, a tremendous amount of membrane of resistance, a tremendous amount of, you know, just there's one big wave that may be ready to come, but I don't know. Is, you know, anything remotely like this collapse acceptant energy that I was talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, if that were to happen at scale, I think there'd be an extraordinary shift just out of that. Mm. But um, I think that there are a number of even larger waves behind those. Like this is a big set coming in if we're out surfing, you know, Mm -hmm. it's big outside. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So... I guess my quick answer to you is it's always been a trickle. It's a slightly larger trickle now. It's I love how this work has refined and it is clearer now. I am offering, I think, something far more accessible and really engageable. Um, and I have no idea what the future holds for a number of reasons, including the 
personal challenges that I mentioned back at the beginning of the call. But there's, you know, I have no idea how this is going. This this particular expression of the work, mm-hmm. I don't know. Coming on our bench to participate in the creation of a documentary about possibility management. Mm-hmm. And you know, your work is totally parallel. You know, it's like a it's on the same thing. And it's turned it, you know, there's some pitfalls with documentaries in terms of they can they can focus on the creator of the you know, the, the point of the documentary, which would be, you know, point all fingers at me. And what's great about that now is that most invention is coming from other people now. Sweet. So yeah, it's really happening out there. And I just do everything I can to try to document it. And, and we have a team of documenters, as I speak, working on helping us do this. We also have books out, you know, that are supportive of the material and then we have our 650 websites out there for the start over game (laughs) unbelievable yeah yeah and and so it's it's really time to try to share the treasure in some kind of a documentary thing Mm. and it's it's a puzzle in terms of the distinction between saying what this stuff is in terms of thoughtware upgrade and Mm-hmm. emotional healing processes and versus trying to deliver it in the documentary. There's this fine line between saying what it is and actually causing liquid states in the viewer. Yes. And, it, and it, I think part of it can't be controlled, cannot, it's too subtle and powerful. <clears throat> and at the same time, we're responsible for, for making it not it's causing reactions, you know, people feeling stuff and they don't know that feelings are wonderful. You know, they think mm-hmm. they're bad, et cetera. And so, I don't know, we just started the conversation with some people and any guidelines you might have on that would be great. Yeah. I really appreciate your question and I appreciate you sharing this, you know, gestating possibility of a, a documentary. First thing I, I would like to go back two minutes ago and I'd like to reassure the the viewer of this. If you know, I'm assuming you're going to post this wherever you post it, and then I'm going to post it in my uh, Poetry of Predicament uh, podcast. <clears> that I'll be including a number of uh, websites and links that you're going to be mentioning, uh, so that they don't have to try and keep track of it in real time during our conversation. And because you just have so damn much to be able to point at. Mm-hmm. So I, I just want to reassure the viewer, it'll be there. And okay. so they'll be able to click on links to find out, you know, how do they get into this expand the box thing and the labs that you're talking about and the books and, and the web, many websites and so on. Um, so to loop back to your, I'm not quite sure what you're asking me to share about, about the possibility of a documentary and perhaps the, I think what you're asking about is, do I have any suggestions for framing this work in a documentary? Is that yes, close? Yes, yes. So something I've been meaning to talk with you about for a long time that I'm just, you know, we both <laughs> busy worlds. Um, there is a real polarity, excuse me, a real parallel uh, 
as you were describing, between our bodies of work. And, uh, and in this case, I think quite a bit of overlap, only I've just never talked with any of your, you or your people about it. Hmm. And, uh, and I regret that, but I, you know, it's just what, what space there was for what. And that is what you often call um, center or five bodies, five centers, or I don't know how many bodies you're up to now, but you know, I'm still working with five and I tell people that there are others constellating around that. Let's just keep it simple for now so we can get the basics, you know, running and then we can bring in others later. And I think that that has become one of the most important elements that, that I feel grounded in, in my experience, direct experience of every one of the bodies I'm talking about. So I can offer it in full faith. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not making shit up. I'm not relaying it from somebody who made it up somewhere, you know, layers away. And I feel the most aligned with the times that I've been in your labs or in your uh, expand the box training where a particular exercise or activity is directly designed to have us have that felt sense of center in one or more of the bodies. Mm. Is that fair to say? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, there's very little translation that needs to happen except as I get into the more obscure bodies, the ones that most people don't even know energy body. What's that? Mm. You know, so that's, that's a challenge. That's a one, you know, kind of growing edge for people. But I start with, of course, the physical body, the mental body is pretty easy to translate like that. I just use the words uh, sense-making. Sense-making is a fairly well-known term these days, and it's pretty easy to introduce and make real in the mm-hmm. room in, in, a, in a minute. Um, then, of course, the feeling body and the disti- core basic, basic distinctions that you guys have mountains of distinctions about, like emotions versus feelings mm-hmm. and the, the incredible body of work that you have around the feeling body. Um, for me, that has always been an, uh, the, the area of greatest overlap and greatest interest for me because uh, we are in a world that has been uh, in which the vast majority of us have either forfeited or have had stolen our center. And we just don't know what we don't know about our own center. We don't know that we've been living our entire life without a center is saturated in a culture, a global culture, and especially in the, in the U S a national culture that is designed to keep us off center. That's how we're more compliant citizens. That's how we're better consumers and on down the list. So that's one part of the framing that I would suggest that because uh, I'm going to be really just straight with you. There are times when I'm staggered. I'm, I'm a bit like uh, I do a stutter step to try and hold and understand and expand to include your uh, the number of new terms that your lexicon is huge. And there are times when it's too much for me and I can only imagine that it can be too much for a new person coming in like, what the hell is he talking about? Archiarchy, what the hell is that? And so on. So I think if this documentary is based on 
you know, uh, with a desire to get the word out to, to people who don't know anything about it, that um, whatever ways can be offered to, to offer the, the core of whatever the distinction is, five bodies, five centers, and what about what's about a center anyway? To me, that's freaking powerful. Because mm. if people can get even a small experiential, you talk about can we actually uh, invite a bit of that liquid state, a bit of that warm curiosity f- infusing into where the judgment and the rigidity has lived forever. That's exquisite. And if they can get the, even the slightest taste of what it is to actually be real, be, be radically responsible for, I don't have a center. This mm. culture doesn't have a center. And this is where, this is what has us screaming ahead to the end of the alley with the brick wall at, at 150 miles an hour. This is what's got us going there. And these conversations now, I, I don't, I'd love to hear what your version of this is, but these conversations, I'm not couching in and there's any solutions in any of it. I'm pretty freaking clear. We're headed where we're headed and it's going to be a lot of death and a lot of suffering and so on. But there's um, a punchline to my version of the five bodies, five centers to what it is to actually expand our capacity to be in those five bodies and five centers and to expand our capacity to be present in the face of larger and larger stressors. The punchline is that that, you know, be on that path long enough sincerely with others. And what starts to happen without you having to do a damn thing about it is we start to touch into some of the largest ubiquitous inner and outer resources that humanity has ever known. I call it the implicit. It's sometimes called the oneness or the um, uh, interbeing. And, you know, we both know a bunch of names for the state. It's the thing that has me just be in tears in a moment. I've been blessed with access to this state. And I've seen it pretty darn often that a, a sincere practitioner who really just wants to be more and more present to be able to be of service and love their family. Next time a big disaster comes to their area, they want to be more able to be present in a good way. Simple desire, no enlightenment, no big, but if they stay with it and they keep growing that capacity, they're going to get some more implicit, more and more of that implicit. And before you know it, there's there's a glow, there's a numinous energy that is showing up. And I have experienced enough of that in your team, in you know, little pockets here and there, little conversations, um, that I know you know what I'm talking about, and I'm sure you have your own access to these things and maybe different kinds of resources, inner resources that we could talk about. I just wanted to share, wanted to share with you some of the punchline of, of the direction I've been going. And I'm feeling it right now, just to give people a, an experiential sense of it, just by slowing down and cueing my system a little bit, and just by the resonance that I always feel with you. 
I have tears. <laughs> yeah. So there's this ubiquitous connectivity, this connection that is absolutely inarguable. It is absolutely present and, as I said before, numinous. So I hope this is communicating that this also might be a good piece to put in the uh, the documentary is that not that this is something that everybody should get on board to get the the goodie at the end of the train ride, but to know that this is not doom and gloom. Yes, it looks like doom and gloom to me. And I think within my old guy lifetime, I'm going to see billions of people suffer or die. So no nonsense. I'm not kidding around. But I'm also not kidding around at the possibility of the many, many moments between here and there and beyond. And why not bring as much beauty as possible to those moments? As much possibility, if I can quote somebody, uh, as possible. Mm. So let me leave it there. I'm sorry I kind of rabbit holed us there. What's so amazing about what you just said is how somehow the the microscopic flows right into the macroscopic. Yeah. In terms of, you mentioned the five bodies, our energetic and especially our archetypal body is mapped into the macroscopic. And when, when one can be present enough and centered enough to not get distracted or not <clears throat> be reactive or, or, you know, like have a story going on, but actually have it being a small enough now that, that there's no room for stories. Then all of a sudden, like these resources that you mentioned, that we have just other names for, for example, bright principles or archetypal yes, lineage yes. or archetypal mm-hmm. lineage or, or the void, you know, the nothingness, you know, as, as a resource mm-hmm. and chaos as a resource. And the Earth Coincidence Control Office as a resource. And these things all open up direct as direct experience, not as theory, not as a concept, but as direct experience, and then become influential as a resource for any projects that people then take on that are in alignment with bright principles. And it's just the bright principles feed the project because the bright principles need the project to exist in the material world. And we are the transformer. And so that's where the practical application of all this has been coming from. And it starts exactly with where you, where you went with it. It's like, you go down here, smaller, now more here. And all of a sudden it comes out the other side. Like, and it was just really beautiful. What you said. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) If if it makes sense I, and and works for you, I'd be interested to hear about your anything that's you're personally up against in that would be a you know valuable to share to people if you feel like that. You mentioned a couple of things you were up against. So for me to share what my personal challenges are these days, as I was mentioning at the beginning of the call, that sort of thing. Yeah, because we're all up against our things, you know, but if you hear somebody 
with your with your background and experience and like you know what's up and how are you dealing with it? Yeah. I could share a few pieces of that. I'd be happy to. Um and what happy, but I, I'm pleased to, to share with you what I have going on. Um about a month and a half ago, I uh, was in a couple's counseling session with my sweetheart and myself. And we've been going to this counselor for about a year because uh, basically my sweetheart has been uh, what I call white knuckling it. You know, I don't know how familiar you are with 12 steps and uh, addicts when when they're trying to just muscle their way through and hold on tight to the world as it is, but somehow get through these tough times, you know, without really changing anything. Anyway, um, out of that session, I, it was clear to me that our relationship is over and that uh, she had for quite some time been white knuckling it. And a part of that was to see me as somebody to have contempt for. And so I've been really just in that atmosphere of contempt coming at me from my loved one. Uh, for quite some time, I'm happy to share, share with anybody who's curious about it, about what is my part and the shadow that I brought and what I'm working on. But I'll, I'll keep sharing because uh, there are other elements. Because uh, what that means is I'm what you're seeing behind me is my new apartment. I've moved out of the house, went out of the relationship. It's semi-cordial, only we don't talk about anything about what caused our breakup. There's no conversation about that at all. And um, there is a, a complete and utter coupling of me with the everything abhorrent about uh, what it is to ever have a conversation about the things that you and I have been talking about in this call in the earlier part. You know, how's the world working? Uh, what's going on? What's the current state of affairs? Any and all of that, whenever that's mentioned anywhere, it would turn into that's the kind of work that Dean's doing. I don't want anything to do with that. That's it's all horrible. He's horrible, and so on. That's that's a lot to be handling and kind of desaturating from. That's what I'm in the current process of doing personally about that relationship completing. It's tough to be moved out, and it's tough that I will be now looking for a job the first time a regular whatever the nine to five work I can find in this area because I I don't have uh, much in the way of employment connections you know back in the day I had uh, networking connections around the world it was great that's 30 years ago Um, so those are gone and uh, that may well have a massive impact on how much of my body of, of work I can keep uh, going, keep afloat. So is that the kind of thing you were interested in me sharing? And is there more you'd like to hear about or talk about? Well, no, but thank you because it's, it just adds reality. You yeah. know, enter reality. Mm-hmm. Welcome reality. <laughs> I've been through, however you call it, two divorces myself and, and the, the chaos and having the rug pulled out from my world mm-hmm. and the, the Phoenix process with no promise that the ashes will come back to life. <clears throat> and now I, I just want to mention something that's 
from from knowing you and from knowing what we're doing over here in possibility management, you know, were you to offer public work talks where people paid $15 to come and listen to a work talk where they hear some distinctions and then ask questions and then go into a practice session in little breakout groups where they get so much value for their Mm -hmm. $15 and you get enough to start paying rent just from that. Mm. And, and if you're offering rage club or fear club or sadness club in a, in a formatted eight week, once a, once a week process, this is, you know, mm. and it costs, I forget what it costs, $80 or something for the, it's so powerful for people and it, it pays for food and transportation. Mm. And, and so I would really welcome you into a private conversation or turn you over to the the rage club space holder people and trainer people and the fear club space holder trainer people and just get you tuned in so that you're not having to be of you know s- submit yourself to the services of an organization that the principles of which you don't resonate with in any way yeah yeah. Because you have so much to give, and so do other so many edge workers who are just using the old thought where I need money to live, not realizing that the universe wants you to thrive doing what you came here to do and not not support some hierarchical power structure yeah. in the world. Anyway, you can talk with me more about that. Absolutely. I I would be delighted to. And the way I've got it set up right now, um, I don't know how to do it any other way than switching the order, which is to be engaged with some amount of bare minimum engagement with employment, the usual deal, to then be able to start to build out the kind of sessions you're describing. I absolutely get it. I would love to talk with whoever you'd suggest and, and, um, uh, yeah, I've just got it set up to do it in that opposite way. Mm-hmm. Both pieces are really important. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, cool. I'm just seeing if there's something else that I needed to hear from you about your research and your discoveries and the resources that you're tapping into and the stuff you're inventing out of nothing. Is there anything else in those areas that you comes to mind? You know, I'm a little wary of, of bringing these up because there's kind of uh, cartoonish, but they've been so consistently on my radar that, uh, and they are quite disturbing as soon as I really let them settle in and, and, uh, validate that they are so there there are some big signals that uh, those in truly in power are uh, are quite serious about continuing things just the way they are meaning they're in power they're getting the wealth and they're going to keep getting more and more power and more and more wealth and they will keep making it more and more difficult for everybody else. And they're going to keep taking us to extinction level consequences. You know, one of them uh, that we just, I just never hear about in mainstream news is uh, 
Russia for a few years now has been developing um, their extraction of fossil fuels on the north side of Siberia uh, on the coast where they have uh, nuclear reactors on board ships that they can just float in, build the community, build the extraction facilities using the nuclear facility to get it all going. And that's all been happening for a while. And again, we just don't hear about that. Um, and then I'm sorry if I'm being repetitive because I don't remember if I said it or not at the beginning, but the, the doubling of the fossil fuel consumption, did I mention that at the very beginning? By 2030? By 2030, yeah. And I, you know, that's another piece. I happen to see it in The Guardian and Le Monde, which are both, you know, credible, you know, mainstream sources. And um, I think it's really important to, for anybody who's even slightly in doubt about this conversation and who's really trying to maneuver what, um, I think that's a very important piece to uh, keep track of because they don't, they don't really have to care. These, these fossil fuel folks who are running the show of all these you know, major corporations and, and the oligarchs behind them and the government people behind them, um, that's quite a statement for them to have it leaked out that that's, that's where we're headed. And they're, they're entirely un, un, unapologetic about it. Of the last piece I'll say like that, um, you know, there's nobody in our circles isn't fully aware of the shit show that is the U.S. political scene. It's just, yeah, it's, I don't have words for it, but it, um, there's actually a, I think it's called Project 2025, which is the Republican policy manual, or their promises to the U.S. public of what they will uh, stand for going in out, assuming they win in 2024 in the elections, that this is what they'll do. And it, I th I'd recommend looking it up. You'd easily find it just Project 2025, and you'll find it in no time, and just take the time to read it. This is what's really happening. This is what where we're really headed. And it's um, it's quite breathtaking. You know, I, I, I talk a lot about shadow and I think it's an extraordinarily important skill set, at least a basic skill set to know shadow dynamics individually, small group, family, and then take it all the way out to nations. Uh, it's just important to know what to look for and to not delude ourselves that uh, there's going to be some Green New Deal or there's some... A uh, more beautiful world that our hearts know is possible is just going to come if we all pray together or something. Please do pray if that works for you and, and that's a good thing. Great. But these forces are big. These people are, they, they put out a lot of uh, clown level bullshit to kind of distract us all. But there is a lot of um, intent and shadow intent behind these things. And so I would just bring people's awareness to them just enough so that they can um, find a real grounding for the kind of possibility that you're inviting them into. I think going in, 
not well centered, and, and that includes the mental center to be really informed in a sense-making fashion. For instance, I um, standing on the shoulders of what was offered a few years back by a group called Rebel Wisdom on the internet, they offered a, a quite a bit of sense-making material. They kind of blazed trails of conversation. And I've got a sense-making course in my uh, one of the many courses that I offer online in I have forgot to mention to you, I've got a mighty networks space, which I'm really liking, you know, kind of a, a community space, which has uh, not at all creepy uh, social media or ways to exchange with one another. Mm-hmm. In any case, um, that, that, kind, that level of sense-making, I think, is very, very important because uh, to not do that is to literally hamstring yourself, to not have a real sense of what's actually present out there, not the kind of bullshit that was rampant during the pandemic in every direction. It was just, what a shit show, you know, and there were really important things to be talked about, but there was so much garbage, so much noise to signal ratio. So thank you for letting me, I'm sorry, I'm going longer than was probably appropriate here, but it just, it, it would warm my heart to know that the people who so sincerely participate in your work get it. They start to really engage. I think to not be just as well informed and as grounded in center as possible um, would sabotage the beauty of your work. So that's why I'm saying all this stuff. I hope that wasn't again too long, but yeah. You only thank you for stressing that as a yeah. necessity. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We have links to put on here for everybody can take off into the next step of the adventure. Good. Thank you so much for making this time for our conversation. Yeah. I'm so glad I followed the impulse to talk to you and You've been just collecting this whole bin of things to talk about. This is (laughs) really valuable. So until next time, let's sign off. Let me, me, if I may, just say my little sign off with you as well. I really just uh, very much appreciate you reaching out and sparking this call. And uh, I so appreciate your camaraderie, your allyship, and your friendship. You are... uh, a remarkable beacon in in a time when we need, you know, we've always needed this, but now more than ever. And again, for you and your team, it's extraordinary what y'all are up to. And it's a privilege to be able to spend time with you and to be of service in some way that I can share something that's somehow useful or interesting. I'm, I'm extraordinarily interested and in, please keep me posted what you do, end up doing with the documentary and um, please do, if you wouldn't mind, send me a, a just a good chunk of uh, links that would take the, the entry-level person to how to find out about your courses and a few of the prime elements they could start with. I would really appreciate that. And uh, I hoping, I'm hoping you're going to post this in some way in your world. I've been enjoying your interviews, which you've been posting in this past year. Mm. Uh, fascinating to see who you've gotten to talk to and um just thank you brother thank you for everything you do and everything you are thank you dean